Thank you. If I stand on this purple line right here, is that okay? Good. Good morning, folks. Welcome to the last day of 2023. What a beautiful week it's been. I know the ice has been treacherous, walking, driving on it and all like that. Hope none of you fell and broke any bones, but man, did that, what a beautiful sight that is on trees and grass, everything out there. It's uh, really a sight to behold. God has been good to us, hasn't he? I think of, um, this is, I understand this is the longest we've ever gone during this winter season without going below zero. Still hasn't gone below zero yet. Last year was a very different year. Welcome to Cottonwood Community Church. And if you're watching online, special welcome to you as well. And we'd love to be able to uh, interact with you. There's a number on the screen where you can initiate that. You text us first and we'll text you after that. Here's an announcement for, oh yeah, right. No King's Kids, no, no nothing today. No awesome arrows, and I believe no nursery, so you're kind of on your own. There are busy bags up back there for the kids, and if there's any left over, you adults want to grab one, you can as well, too. Next uh, Sunday, we have uh, lunch after church. Mark and Jelaine are heading that up, so uh, plan ahead. You don't have to put anything in the oven if you'd like to stay and join Join us for lunch after church next Sunday. Also, if you would like prayer, we've been doing this for a number of months now, and almost inevitably something has come up with uh, somebody in our church over the past week prior or so. And if you'd like prayer, come on up front to this front pew, and Gene and I will be there. We'd love to be able to pray with you and uh, seek God's grace and mercy and power into your lives. December, my wife has says, said that uh, in Cottonwood Community Church, babies come in groups or clumps. December is baby month here in this church. We've had a family that had a baby early in the month. We've had a couple more this last week. And Tanner and Andrea Rosendahl had a baby on, I believe it was December 7th. Am I right? Yep. All right, got that right? And uh, so I'd ask them to come up and they're going to do their, our scripture reading today, their family is, and then share, share a little bit about their baby girl. So come on up. Good morning. All right, so as Tom said, we're going to start here with the reading uh, from John, and then we'll get into the, inter- get into the introductions. John 1, John 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was in the beginning with God, and things, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him, it was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not compare it there 
was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came with witness to bear witness of the light, and that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man who comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became the flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, I think we got everyone together here now. Um, as Tom mentioned, I'm Tanner. This is my wife, Andrea. We have Adeline, who is 10, Henrik, who is 8, Kendall, who is 4, Reese, who is 2, and our newest, uh, Hazel, who is 3 weeks. Um, when Tom and Jean were gracious enough to bring us a meal a couple weeks back, Tom mentioned coming up and doing another introduction and uh, said something along the lines of, oh, last time you were, you were funny, it was great. I don't know if you did these, Tom, back when you were having kids, but I'm running out of material. <laughs> Five times is a lot. Um, so the, the main thing I wanted to talk about quickly was just how being a dad and primarily a girl dad has changed me a little bit. Um, I definitely have learned a lot about mediation through talking about brushing hair and battles with things of that nature. Um, yeah. Reese. I've spent most of my time doing this, so uh, from there, I'm just, I'm just going to pass it on to Andrea, and she's going to talk about Hazel so we can get these guys off the stage. All right, the one thing that was different about this pregnancy was we knew we were having a girl. We never knew our gender before. We went to our 20-week ultrasound. Um, and we were really torn on if we were going to find out or not. Right away, I wanted to know. Tanner didn't. Then Tanner wanted to know and then didn't. And going back and forth on it. So we got to the ultrasound, and we were just like, don't tell us. Maybe we'll ask for an envelope later. I really know. Multiple times during the ultrasound, towards the end, the text said her. <laughs> and she. So then... After it was all done, it was, it was an interesting ultrasound. Um, at the end, we just said, can we get an envelope? She's like, oh, you would like an envelope? Yeah, we would. So we got out to the truck, and Tanner's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, open it. It's a girl. Like, what, are we going to wait 20 weeks to find out at this point? So we opened it up, and it was a girl. Um, so that was a different situation. Also, I've gone overdue with my last two. And so when they offered an induction, because I'm old, um, <laughs> anything over 35, they do a little extra. They offered an induction, and we felt like that was the best choice for our family. Everyone just felt more certain with timing and everything. And so the morning of the 7th, I called, and they had room for me. So I had room at the inn, so I got to go. And it was a pretty easy good flowing day. So we went in at 7. Can you please stop touching her? Thank you. 
and the doc had said, our hope is to have a baby by five, and she was born at 440. And the last ultrasound I had of her, the tech had told me she was a big baby. I was like, well, they've all been kind of big babies. And so she was eight, nine, a week early. So we are happy she's here. It made life easier just having a plan in this crazy world of ours right now. So thanks for letting us share. Okay, go down there. Four girls and a boy, congrats. Congratulations. Let's pray. And as we pray too, we want to pray for Israel. That's, they've had some, they've had that war going on for quite some time now. And it might be easy to put it in the back of our minds and forget what's going on, but there's still, there's still some very difficult times going on there in Israel and as they attempt to uh, put evil away, as they tent, attempt to uh, live peaceably, that's their desire. And we're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Israel as we also pray for this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. We sure live privileged lives here in this country, in this state, in this city in which we live. Thank you for the beauty of creation. Thank you that all the seasons have had their uniqueness, including this one. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. Uh, we, don't, we don't really know what it is to have war and battles right on our doorstep. Many in Israel do know, and we pray for them. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the peace of Jerusalem. And Israel is spoken of as the apple of your eye. We pray, Father, that uh, they would be victorious and be able to put away that evil that's happened upon them. They'd be able to go back and live peaceably. We know in the end times, difficult. It's going to get even more difficult for them, but we pray for now. We ask that you would be with them and guard and keep them. We pray for the, uh, there's many, many Israelites that don't know Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that through this, many would come to Christ. And those that live in Gaza as well, that they would come to Christ as well. They need him. We pray for the peace of Israel and Jerusalem. Thank you for our time here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, no, that won't work there. So we've just concluded a series on Advent through the first four Sundays of this month, the Advent of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so this is now uh, the Advent of Christ or Epiphany, or close to it, it isn't exactly the date of Epiphany, but it is close to it. Epiphany is not a Bible uh, term, uh, but it's been a Christian holiday for about 1,600 years, and many Christians uh, put Epiphany right up there with Christmas and Easter, and what Epiphany means is manifestation from above, manifestation or re revealing from above. It's God from above revealed to us. And it, Epiphany is meant to celebrate the manifestation of Jesus to the world, especially the Gentiles, represented by the Magi who came and gave him gifts. 
And it also includes the manifestation of his deity at his baptism when the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As well, when he illustrated his, his deity at the, his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. So Epiphany has been celebrated by Catholics, by Lutherans, Anglicans, and other Western churches. And it is actually celebrated typically on January 6th. January 6th, we're not quite there yet. But it's celebrated by some Eastern Orthodox churches on January 19th. Because they go by a different calendar. And I have a little bit of family history with the Eastern Orthodox Church, which I'll tell you about in a moment. But the Eastern Orthodox Church goes by what's called the Julian calendar. So they're a couple weeks after our calendar. We go by the Gregorian calendar, developed by Pope Gregory the third, 13th, excuse me, some of you probably caught that mistake. It's the 13th, not the third. Pope Gregory the 13th in 1582. So again, some, some uh, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox churches observe Epiphany on January 19th, while most Western churches, if they observe it at all, it's on January 6th. So there's a difference there. And that's what the January 6th hearings last year in Washington, D.C. were all about. They're trying to come about a, uh, a, an agreement of Epiphany between January 6th and January 19th. And they weren't able to do it. My mom grew up in the Eastern Orthodox Church in Minneapolis, and they celebrated Christmas Eve, actually, on January 6th. And then their, their epiphany was January 19th. My mom's parents immigrated here from Czechoslovakia. My dad and my mom were married in the Eastern Orthodox Church in Minneapolis. The service was done all in Greek, my dad said he didn't under, understand a thing that was said, and he wasn't sure at the end if they were really married or not. <laughs> well, they were married, and they had five clueless boys, me being the fifth. Today's the last day of 2023. It's a good day to talk about the manifestation from above, epiphany, here is our sermon in a sentence. Where in your heart or life has Jesus pitched his tent? Where in your heart has Jesus pitched his tent? Our scripture reading, which the Rosendals aptly did, little Adeline and then Tanner, John 1, 1 through 14. The main verse that we're going to focus on today is the last verse, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Alistair Begg wrote this, there was a time when Jesus was God and not man, but there was never a time when Jesus was man but not God. I would just add this, Jesus is going to continue to be God and also man for all eternity. What love God has shown for us that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, became flesh, humbled himself. Now where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it literally means this, that Jesus tabernacled among us, or that he pitched his tent among us. 
So where in your life, where in your heart has Jesus pitched his tent? He doesn't just take residence on his own. He, he goes where you allow him to go in your heart. We're going to visit this question more at the end, but first I'd like to talk about some other gleanings from Scripture, from our Scripture reading today. And the first is this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word, Word, is logos in the Greek. Logos is the expression of thought, not just not just a mere name of an object, but an expression of thought, a personal, the personal manifestation of God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know anything about God, you go to Jesus. He embodies it all. Verse 3 then says this, All things were made by him, and with him nothing was made that was made. Jesus... Logos, the Word, is the Creator. Anything you see in the universe and nature, the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, Logos, the Word, Jesus, created it. The planets, the stars made by Him, earth, nature, plants, animals, mankind, made by him, starting with a literal historical Adam and Eve, all this roughly 6,000 years ago. Jesus is the master architect and engineer. We did not evolve, we didn't start out as Adams, A-T-O-M-S, we started out with Adam and Eve. Evolution is a lie of the devil. One of his first schemes to get us to believe that evolution is true and that we're all here by chance. If we fall for that, we're liable to disbelieve other essential truths of the Bible. Again, all things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, back to epiphany for a moment. Epiphany, again, means manifestation from above. Epi means above, fanny means manifestation or appearance. Manifestation or appearance from, from above. Jesus is the manifestation from above, God with us. Now, there's another similar term I want to talk about. And again, it's not necessarily a Bible term, but it means, we'll go into that, it's called theophany. Theophany means manifestation of God. Not just manifestation from above, but manifestation of God. Theo, of course, meaning God. Theophany is used for those times in the Old Testament when the second person of the Godhead, Logos, soon to be Jesus, when the second person of the Godhead briefly took on human form came down to planet Earth for a specific purpose to interact with a few people, and then he was gone again. It happened several times, a number of times, in the Old Testament. And as you're reading your Old Testament, it often will be tipped off by the use of the phrase, the angel of the Lord. When it says the angel of the Lord, it is a theophany. It is God's manifestation of God. I'm just going to talk about three, briefly, three theophanies 
from the Old Testament before we get to Epiphany. The first theophany is in Genesis 18. And it says that in the beginning of that chapter, that three men, quotation marks, man, three men visited Abraham. One of them was God in human form, a theophany. And here's what he said as he visited with Abraham. God said, he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Verse 10. Sarah overheard that. She was an old lady by then. She wasn't able to have children, apparently. She overheard, and it says a couple verses later, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? That means her husband Abraham. This was all inward, not outward. She laughed within herself. She talked within herself. But God knew it. And here was the Lord's answer. It says, the Lord, again, the Lord Jehovah said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Well, God visited Abraham and Sarah in their old age with a child. His name is Isaac. She was about 90 years old. He was about 100. Here's the lesson from this theophany. God can do the impossible. Remember that. God can do the impossible. It was naturally impossible for them to have a baby at that age. God can do the impossible. And during that same visit, he later confided to Abraham that he was going to visit Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment for their evil lifestyles. Abraham interceded. And God said that if there were just how many? Ten? If there were just ten righteous people in Sodom, it would not be destroyed. There were not ten, and Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But the lesson for us is this, is that it doesn't take many righteous people living for God to save a city or a nation. We often look around at the, the, how dysfunctional our society is, our city, our country, our state. And it can tend to discourage us. But God looks at how many righteous people there are, not how many evil people there are. May we be one of those few and be a saving salt for our city, for our state, for our country. Here's theophany number two that I picked out from Genesis 32. Jacob is coming home from being 20 years away from his family. The night before he is to meet his brother Esau, whom he cheated out of his birthright in the blessing 20 years before, Jacob is alone by himself. He sleeps under the stars, or at least he tries to sleep, because a man initiates a wrestling match with him. How many here were wrestlers in high school? Good, nobody. Maybe some of you raised and I didn't see you. I, I, can't think the, I can't think of a more grueling sport 
than rice wrestling, other than cross country, those two sports, and believe me, I didn't participate in either of those. Wrestling matches on the high school level last, last three two-minute periods. Two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, six minutes in all. And in college, they last seven minutes, three, two, and two. This wrestling match lasted all night, all night. And it was near daybreak, and the man, capital M, the man put Jacob's hip out of socket. He had to do something to get him to let go, but he wouldn't let go. Jacob wouldn't give up. Jacob received a blessing from God. His name got changed from Jacob to Israel. And the man, he said to him, this is God, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. So his name got changed from deceiver or supplanter to a prince with God. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God, theophany, I've seen God face to face and my life has been preserved. Here's the lesson for us in this theophany number two. It pays to wrestle with God. It pays to wrestle with God. It may mean wrestling in prayer until you see that prayer answered or until you see God come through. It also means this, that I will never give up walking with God no matter how difficult it gets. It pays to wrestle with God. Here's the last theophany that I picked up from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 5. Joshua just led the nation into the promised land across the Jordan River. The Jordan River dried up just as the Red Sea had dried up. They're on the other side. They're in the promised land. They're about to conquer the people of the land, starting with Jericho. But here's what happened to Joshua. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man Capolam, a man stood opposite with him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Which side are you on? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy, and Joshua did so. Joshua met up with God before they went into battle. Here's the lesson. God goes before us and leads us into victories. He's always there before us. He leads us into victories. There are many, there are other theophanies in the Old Testament. I just pulled three of these out. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about Epiphany in John 1.14. Again, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, dwelt among us means literally that he tabernacled among us. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and later the temple, is the place where the glory of God came and settled. The Shekinah glory dwelt there. It's where God met his people. So Jesus tabernacled among us. Or one translation literally says he pitched his tent among us. So in the Old Testament, we have the second person of the Trinity. Occasionally, 
visiting planet Earth and his people in what we call theophanies. In the New Testament, Jesus became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled with his own. He pitched his tent among us. John 1, 11, 12 says, He came to his own. His own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, he came to his own. His own did not receive him. Many people do not receive Jesus. Just put this out there. Have, have you today... Everybody here, have you personally accepted Christ into your life? For those of you who have, where in your heart have you let Jesus pitch his tent? Is Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart? We'll talk about that again in a few minutes. But I want to talk about one more epiphany before we get to that. And that epiphany, that revealing, that manifestation from above is Jesus' second coming, his second return, his return to earth. Again, in the Old Testament, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, he made a a few brief visits to planet earth. In the Gospels, Jesus became flesh, and he lived amongst his people for 33 years, then back into heaven. And he's coming again. Just like in the Old Testament, there were prophecies of Jesus' first coming and being born where? All right, you got it, Bethlehem. There are prophecies of his second coming, including where he's going to come to first. We're going to get into some of those, and that's all I'm going to talk about is just where he comes and what's he going to be doing when he comes back, when he returns that second time. When he comes... He's going to set up a reign for a thousand years, and then after that, eternity. He's not going to be here just for a few visits or for 33 years. It's going to be for a thousand years, then eternity afterwards. Revelation 19, 11 through 16, gives us what is going to happen when he returns in victory. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat in him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Again, this is the Logos, the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This will be the church coming back after we've been raptured and after the judgment seat of Christ. He says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, that he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So his second coming is not going to be anything like his first coming. Not going to be a humble little baby. He's going to come back and he's going to reign for a thousand years. This is the return of Christ, Jesus Christ, to save Israel and set up his thousand year reign. And he talks about this just prior to his return 
Many in Israel, they'll be fleeing away from Jerusalem and the land of Israel to escape because there are going to be nations gathered against them. It's not just going to be Hamas and Gaza or Hezbollah. It's going to be nations gathered against them. Matthew 24 gives us Jesus. These are his own words. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Get out of there. And let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those with nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. They will flee to a place now, it's good. They will flee to what is now southern Jordan. In the Old Testament, it refers to it as Basra. Here's the parallel, a couple of parallel passages from Isaiah in the Old Testament, parallel to what we just read in Revelation 19, Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes from Edom, southern Jordan, with dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of the redeemed has, my redeemed has come. I look, but there is no one to help, and I wonder that there is no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury has sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. That is way different than the first time Jesus came. And one more short passage from Isaiah, another parallel passage. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven, indeed it shall come down from Edom, and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Basra, Edom, southern Jordan, he's going to come and rescue the nation of Israel. They're trying to get away from the nations, and they have, they have only God to look to, and Jesus comes and saves them. So we have the theophanies of the Old Testament. We have the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And then we have coming up in the future, probably it would seem the near future, whether it is or not, his second coming prophesied many places in the Old Testament. And he'll never leave again. He's going to set up a reign for a thousand years and then usher in eternity after that. In light of all that we see of Jesus in the Bible... His theophanies, his epiphany, his return, in light of all that we see of him, in light of this being the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024, this question once again, where has Jesus pitched his tent in your heart? Where has Jesus pitched his tent in your heart? Is he at the center of your life? Does he occupy the throne of your heart? Have you come to a point where, sure, you're a Christian, you've asked him Christ in your life, but you've given it all to him. You said, Lord, I, I want to be all out, all out for you. I want you to take first place in my life. Does he have the final say on your schedule, how you spend your 
day, how you spend your life, how you spend your energies, how you, if and what you do in serving others. Does he have the final say in what you watch on TV or the movies you go to or what you view on the internet or on your, on your phone? Does he have the final say on your finances, beginning with giving to God the tithes and the offerings? Does the Bible have full sway and does Jesus have full sway in your life? Years ago, I was at a conference, Ohio State University, and the speaker made a, gave a, an invitation like this to be all out for Jesus. And I went home that night, and Jean was in bed on our mattress on the floor. She was quite with child. We didn't have a, have a bed to lift the mattress up yet. And I, I couldn't sleep. I got up and I crawled under, went in the living room, crawled under my desk, and I, I gave God full sway. I said, Lord, you take over. I want to live for you the rest of my life. I want to count for you. Does that mean that's what he's done in my life ever since? No. Every time I sin, I take Jesus off the throne and I put myself back on until I repent and say, okay, Lord, you take over. You know better. I see the ramifications of my sin. I want you to take, I want you to take, pitch your tent again in the center of my heart. May he have pitched his tent on the throne of your heart. We're going to have a prayer in a moment, a prayer of dedication if, he hasn't, if you haven't given him that place in your heart, the center of your heart, or if he needs to get back there where he once was. In our last song, after we pray, this last song is, going to, is about the second coming of Christ. We've read about the second coming of Christ, and of course the song is Joy to the World. I'm going to read these verses before we sing them, before we pray. Again, this is, Jesus has returned and he's setting up his worldwide kingdom for a thousand years. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Verse 2, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Verse 3, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. He's going to do a good job. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Let's stand for closing prayer. And again, after we pray and after we sing, if anybody would like prayer, Gene and I will be in the front, front pew. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his coming, that he came as a baby, came meekly and humbly and came to die on the cross for our sins and bring us into the family of God. We thank you for that. I pray, Heavenly Father, just my own self, I want to put Jesus right back on the throne, the center of my heart. And Lord, if there's other here, others here wanting to say, may they silently pray that same prayer. Lord, 
take control, have control of my life, my finances, my schedule, what I do with my energies, everything about my life. I want to be led by you and your word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and grace in our lives. Thank you, too, that Jesus is coming again. He will reign in truth and righteousness. In his name we pray. Amen. Bye.